Hey, everybody. This is Manny Faces, producer and host of Newsbeat, where we mix hard-hitting journalism about social justice and civil liberties issues with music and original hip-hop lyrics by some of the best independent artists out there in the game today. We like to say we're like 60 Minutes and, uh, and Hamilton had a podcast baby. Or 60 Minutes and Black Thought had a podcast baby. Or 60 Minutes and Public Enemy had a podcast baby. So it's a, it's a mix of, it's a mixed media extravaganza that we put forth in our Newsbeat podcast. Uh, if you follow us, you've heard hopefully our full episodes. This is Backbeat. Backbeat, we go a little bit behind the scenes, go in depth and take a little bit deeper dive into the contents of the previous episode. The episode we're talking about is our most recent. It's called Youth Prisons, Juvenile Detentions, Racial Disparity, Rampant Violence, and Lasting Damage. So before we get into that, again, my name is Manny Faces, uh, and I invite you to uh, subscribe to our podcast, Newsbeat, wherever you find uh, your your favorite podcasts. We're on, of course, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, all, of the, all of the places. We're also on the web at usnewsbeat.com, and there you can find a full cover story and more resources that go with each and every episode, plus information about us, all of the voices and experts and authors and academics and activists who we interview for each episode, and our very special guest artists, including our 2017-2018 artist in residence, Mr. Silent Knight, uh, and the others uh, who have appeared on all of our episodes. Also on our website, a very special section that we want you to check out is our support page. We do take uh, outside uh, donations to try to help us continue to bring these important social justice issues to light and pay these fantastic artists that uh, intersperse their talent throughout our episodes with compelling and really mind-numbingly smart hip-hop commentary uh, in a very unique way that only we at Newsbeat can do. So, Hit us up, usnewsbeat.com slash support, and help us help them help you uh, learn about these uh, incredible issues. I'm joined as I am with each uh, Backbeat episode by our editor-in-chief, Mr. Christopher Tawarski. What up, Manny? And we are not joined this time, as we normally are in every Backbeat episode, by our managing editor, Mr. Rashid Mian. And it feels weird. It does feel weird. Who's going to get really, really mad and pound the table and and scream at the injustices uh, that are peppered throughout our existence? We can take turns. We'll have to do it. Uh, we want to give a special shout out to uh, Rashid and Jen Mian. Uh, Rashid is out on paternity leave because he is a new Papa. So congratulations to the Mion family. And uh, you guys take as long as you need. Rashad will be here when you get back. Uh, congratulations once again. Uh, we love y'all. So in the meantime, Chris and I, we're going to hold it down. We're going to talk about youth prisons. We're going to uh, talk about real quick who you heard in the last episode. Big shout out to our special guest musical artist for uh, this past episode, Napoleon the Legend, a very, very fine lyricist, a very fine human. You can find a lot of his work uh, online as well. Just came out with a, uh, a new mixtape in his mixtape series. Uh, it's called Steal This Mixtape 3. You want to check him out. Napoleon Da Legend, D. A. Napoleon the Legend. Uh, that's the man. That's the one who you heard uh, spit on this last episode. And Chris, as you usually do, tell us about the other voices, the expert voices that we had on this episode called Youth Prisons. Yeah, so we spoke with Mishi Faruqi, uh, the National Field Director of the nonprofit Youth First Initiative. Uh, we also spoke with Hernan Carvente Martinez from Youth First. Uh, he's the National Youth Partnership Strategist. 
And we also spoke with James Williams, the juvenile justice field organizer at New Jersey Institute for Social Justice. Right, indeed. And Hernan was also a, uh, was formerly uh, incarcerated in a youth prison in New York State. Right. I mean, his insight um, to the episode, uh, if you haven't listened to it yet, please do, yeah. um, is just insanely powerful. Right. So now, again, we assume you know to go listen to the episode before you listen to, to the backbeat. It's sort of like... Uh, uh, spoiler alert, you know, we obviously talk about the episode in depth, in depth, but the power of the episode is the episode. So please do check that out if you haven't. Uh, we'll wait. <laughs> Great. Glad you're back. This guy. Um, Here he is. Um, I did find it to be, as as always, as we do, we bring these issues to light in a very compelling manner. And Hernan's, uh, uh, behind, really, behind, we talk about being here behind the scenes. His behind the scenes insight was pretty crazy. Rashid normally gives us some some of the numbers. You're going to work the numbers in his uh, in his stead, uh, Chris. Why don't you give us and our listeners an, uh, a quick recap of the uh, you know the numbers behind this issue? That's obviously why this issue is so um, pernicious. Yeah. So on any given day, there's about fifty thousand young people incarcerated in the United States. Right. And you know, just the subject here, I think, says it all. Youth prisons. Right. Prison for children basically, is what we're talking about here. Indeed. Um, and, you know, race plays an insanely critical role in uh, youth incarceration. As it does with most law enforcement-based um, things. Children of color are incarcerated at disproportionate rates than their white counterparts. Right. And, you know, here on Backbeat, we we uh, we try to delve into maybe some of the sub-issues and, and, and topics that we don't get to really flesh out uh, as much in the actual episode. And so uh, I made a, a short list here of, of some things that I think are really, really important uh, for you listeners to hear and know about. Uh, one is the youth incarceration of girls. You know, when we think about youth mm. prison, we think about prison in general. I think the average person thinks about males, you know, right. boys uh, and men. Girls are incarcerated as well, you know, and, and that rate, while the overall... Uh, incarceration rate of youth has been precipitously dropping thanks to some of the more innovative uh, reforms that have been put in place in the last couple of years. Uh, more girls are, are being incarcerated partly due to that, due to those numbers dropping. Interesting, yeah. Um, and one of the biggest issues with girls being incarcerated is that there's just not a lot of alternatives available. Right. You know, and, and girls are in this unique position where, and Mishi, you know, uh, ran a freight train through it for us, really eye-opening stuff, that most of the girls in, in youth prisons end up there because, uh, number one, uh, maybe they're being abused at home. A lot of times this is sexual abuse, and they act out in defense, and that's what they get arrested for. Maybe they, you know, attack or try to physically defend themselves against their attacker, and they get arrested right. for that. Right, right. Secondly, these girls run away. And when they run away, obviously, you don't have a lot of resources and you do what you have to do to survive. And so uh, these girls get picked up for what are called survival crimes. Interesting. You know, yeah. stealing food or, you know. Or even even worse, they end up having to do things that are, you know, unseemly to support themselves in the streets and, you know, which, which brings up, lead to. Yeah. Which brings us to another whole uh, element, which are, you know, some of these girls have been trafficked for sex. Right. And. Oddly, bizarrely, to I guess anybody you know not familiar with this subject, but the judge sometimes says uh, we need to lock her up to keep her safe. 
we need to keep her away from the pimp. We need to keep her away from the abusive boyfriend. So right. just, just lock her up. Right. You know, and that speaks to the larger problem, obviously, we'll go into of the fact that locking up children uh, in these types of environments doesn't help. You know, that's obviously what the episode really tried to emphasize. We'll get into a little bit more about the ineffectiveness of this whole right. thing. And that's an even that's like salt on the wound to say, not only are we going to you know lock you up to protect you, right. but we're going to put you in a place that actually harms you. Right. And, and what and what Mishi says is this is basically criminalizing gender. OK. Right. OK. Yeah. I mean, they're being punished because they're girls. Right. And because of the things, unique things that they've had to go through. Right. You know, we talk about the youth prison system, you know, the, our sources in the episode. I mean, resoundingly, uh, you look at the stats and the system just does not work. You know, right. there's a nationally, there's a, between a 70 or 75 percent recidivism rate. A lot of these prisons. Is that higher or lower than, you know, adult prisons generally? I'm not too sure. Yeah. I'm not too sure. Yeah. But but it's what high, I do I know. know <laughs> yeah. I mean, what I do know is right. that it's a great question because yeah. um so what happens is because of those high recidivism rates, so they may be uh, in the juvenile system when they first commit and they get put in. When they right. get out, they're now over 18. Right. And so so it actually feeds. So it's this it's this school to, to prison pipeline that we're talking about. You hit the nail on right, the head right, right there. So it's the recidivism rate that's helping to fuel the right. adult mass incarceration rate. Right. Got which it. is just, you know, this yep, vicious yep. cycle of torture. Right. Yeah, um, and it's it's setting a uh, you know putting them in a in a in a foundation of being in the system, being in law enforcement. When of course, and our voices eloquently spoke on this, uh, there are alternatives. Uh, there should be alternatives. And again, you're placing children in their still in their formative years to some some great degree in harmful environments that are not designed to rehabilitate them. Um, they're actually designed to punish them right. uh, and aren't designed with any kind of real effort to try and get them back on their feet so they don't come back in right. when they turn right. adults. And, and to your point, neurological and psychological research states that the human brain is not fully developed or doesn't even come close to sort of forming the key connections that are necessary uh, to judge consequence, for example, mm. uh, reason, until the age of around 24 or 25. So uh, right. right off the bat, inherently- My brain didn't even start. <laughs> My brain took a lot longer is than it, that. Is it still developing? It's uh, probably is it, got is it some connections that still need to be connected. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for sure. Scientifically, like this is clear. I mean, you would not, you figure you don't have to say this, that a 14-year-old, you know, or 15-year-old isn't you know, isn't mature enough, just if you want to use that word, forget the scientific, you know, but it's basically saying, you know, mental maturity, and especially if they come from neighborhoods that are difficult, family situations that are difficult, poverty or or low income or bad schools or whatever the case may be, or even good neighborhoods, you know, so not, 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 these aren't the only kids that end up in juvenile prisons, youth prisons. I mean, if you look at great neighborhoods now, you know, there's a lot of factors there. There's the opioid epidemic that's turning young people in other communities, you know, uh, into criminals as well. And some of them, although disproportionately not as many, uh, tend to end up in, in these type of environments Again, without the the infrastructure designed to help them. Right. So you're you're taking a child, someone whose mind is not completely developed, and you're punishing them as an adult um, instead of implementing strategies and trying to heal them. So right. instead of healing, you're punishing. And what Mishi, Hernan, and uh, James uh, tell us resoundingly in the episode, 
is that the conditions of these prisons mirror adult prisons. You know, so right. so so you're punishing them as adult, and so so think about that. You have uh, again children uh, who who don't really understand consequence of their actions, don't really have the brain functions of enhanced reason to really think things out, and instead they're acting on emotion, and then you're tossing them in facilities that mirror adult prisons, which by design, I think that when you listen to the episode, what you'll come across. Uh, hopefully with is by design these things don't work and and they're they just they're set up to further fuel this cycle of mass incarceration so basically uh the people who work in youth prisons are the same function as a correctional officer in a regular jail right as Anand says uh, they have different right. titles right but they're, they're essentially not, corrections officers they're not counselors right you know they're officers who are there to maintain control Right. You know, secondly, you have, you know, a lot of these these children are taken hours away. They're, you know, incarcerated in a place hours upon hours away from the family, from their family. So right. so immediately too, you know, you, you talk about uh, adolescence and, and development and relationships are so crucial to that. And so you're immediately taking them away from their family and loved ones. Right. Their um, foundational their uh, foundations. connections. And you're putting yeah. them in a, in, a, in a facility where, you know, in some of these places, these kids are hogtied. You know, these kids, the staff's almost immediate reaction is to restrain them. Physically. They, physically. Yeah. They, they, you know, and as Hernan uh, says, you know, people fight back sometimes. Because especially, the, and, and as, as Hernan said at, personally himself, one, yeah. one, one night he got a, a very upsetting phone call from his family and he went into his cell and started trashing his cell. Right. And what is the first reaction from the staff is get in there and restrain him. Right. And he's going to fight back. Yeah. He's a testosterone fueled. Uh, at that point, I think 16-year-old, 17-year-old, what are you going to do? You're going to fight back. Right. No matter how old you are, if somebody tries right. to attack you and throw you down, what are you going to do? You're going to try to fight back. And the horrors documented and so many undocumented are just, you know, yeah. I mean, to terrifying. The point, and to the point, I mean, you know, that's why some, you know, there has been some work being done to reform these places, close the prisons, close these places down. I know that uh, Mishi says that they think, uh, you know, they're, they're, the philosophy of her organization is that these youth prisons simply shouldn't exist. They, they, they're just, they shouldn't be better. They can't be reformed. That the, that the idea uh, They're beyond of, rehabilitation right, themselves, that outdated, the entire system. Right, that it's part of a system that shouldn't be how we treat children of, who are offenders. And again, as Hernan, again, he, and he, as being someone who had been incarcerated, committed a, a bad act and, and admitted it and said it absolutely, 100%, took, took total ownership of that. But that he was one of the lucky ones uh, who got through the system and came out better for it. But overall, what we want to do, what you think civilization would want to do is find systems that actually improve these children's lives so they, they don't further go down this path. And and to Mishi's point, these outdated systems, outdated prisons shouldn't be part of the equation. Some of these prisons date back to the Civil War. Right. Hundreds of years. Hundreds of years, yeah. and and you know, with James, tactics that are pretty much you know, pretty much. I mean, yeah. and, and James Williams. I mean, what a powerful intro to this episode. Yeah, he talks about all the souls of these children, the screams, the torture, the anguish, the tears, chaos. You know, basically embedded in these walls yeah. that just generations of children have been uh, shackled in there and and marched through, uh, and their lives 
utterly destroyed. I mean, all the echoes of these kids' screams and, you know, in, and thankfully, you know, in that particular prison he was referring to, uh, which is nicknamed Jamesburg in New Jersey, uh, Governor Christie uh, in January before he left said, we're going to close that. Right. We're going to close the female counterpart as well. It's not, from what I understand, it's still a big transition thing. They have to figure out uh, what to do. But right. uh, it brings us to the to the next point here. Not only so, not only do these things, you know, basically destroy and break the backs and the spirit of kids who are already insanely traumatized. You know, that as you brought up at the beginning here, they come from possibly low-income neighborhoods that already don't have a support network right. and resources. And so, instead of trying to help them and heal them, you're aggravating and, as Mishi says, exacerbating that trauma, whether it's mental illness or just behavioral issues. And in that vacuum of violence right what's going to happen right it ends up becoming even more embedded in you that that lifestyle right of violence and and hopelessness her, and you just said and hernan speaks to that uh, some of it didn't didn't make it in but i want to just share with you listeners um, some more details of hernan he was incarcerated uh, when he was 15 and I think like four days shy of, of 16 or something like that for attempted murder. Right. And, you know, he also had a child on the way and he's in there. You know, he was a gangbanger. you know. So, you know, back to sort of the, the communities. And that's such a key part of this issue, the communities. You know, he came from a, a family of Mexican descent um, where he what he told us was, you know, machismo attitude and culture is, is very prevalent. And, you know, he had his first sip of beer, I think when he was eight or something like that, you know, yeah. by, by 10, he had, you know, liquor, you know, when he was, I think seven or eight, he witnessed, uh, I won't go into too many, many details, but a family beating yeah. and, 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 and he's walking around with this, all this, this anger and, and, and chaos. And he didn't have an outlet to express that, right. whether to, it be in school, to nip that in the bud, right, right, or to family members, because he, right. you know, they were undocumented, and right. he was afraid. And then, so imagine being a kid and walking around with, oh God, if I if I tell someone what's going on in my life, my parents are going to get deported. Right. I mean, the weight that that has to have on on a kid, right. And not only in that situation, a lot of kids will be like, if I go around and tell you what my dad did to my mom or what my uncle did to my aunt or whatever the case may be, I'm going to get my ass kicked. So I'm just going to stay out of it. And they don't have any place to go. They don't have any place to talk to. You know, they're scared. And so what happens? You 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 pent that stuff up. It's going to come out other ways. And what happens? You know, he started acting out in school. Right. He joined a gang. Right. You know, he got violent. Right. And he committed this crime, which he pled guilty for. He owned right up to this crime. And he served his time. And what he found in, in there, I mean, listen to the episode to hear it, but uh, just absolutely brutal conditions, torture. And the one sort of light, and we'll come sort of full circle here too, the whole part, you know, yeah. uh, over and over, Mishi, Hernan, and James emphasized right. the power of hope right. and the power of love. And, you know, for Hernan, it was... One singular person, he taught history in the facility. He was a former military serviceman who became a history teacher, had a, an infectious passion for history, and that was contagious to his students. And Hernan admits, you know, it took a long time for him to to embrace that. But right. this guy's name was James Lacane. Massive shout out to James Lacane. And Hernan credits him with saving his life. The only reason why Hernan said he was in front of us 
in front of the microphone, in front of the newsbeat crew, sharing this story. As part of the of, of an organization now that's turning around and giving turning back around, to this right. and All, fighting this issue. Uh, countless kids was because Mr. James Lacane instilled in him, you have value, you have worth. I believe in you. Right. And it takes that injection of hope and care and really, you know, at the essence of it is really love to save, uh, to to heal, to turn a child around instead of never addressing the issues right. and instead throwing them in environments that only, again, exacerbate that. You know, once you're in there and, and you know, and Hernan will be one of the first ones to say, I'm one of the lucky ones. I got out, I turned my life around and now he's turning it around. Like you said, he's given back. It's a ripple effect. And he calls it, and it, you know, it's the pay it pay forward. forward yeah. And while he yeah. was in there, when he was sort of awoke to that, he then did everything he could to help other children in their, you know, earn their GED, go into one of these college orientation type programs where you know you learn the skills and, and some classes uh, to prepare yourself for that, uh, yeah. even to hold down a job janitorial uh, maintenance position in there. And it was those things that helped him. And it was not an easy road, as he said, when he comes yeah. out, but yeah. that helped him. Get to where he is now. And I got to tell you, man, th there's been a lot of talk and a lot of evidence that that shows that that's what it takes. And that's all it takes sometimes in a lot of cases is one person. They say that people who have had, you know, uh, rough backgrounds or, or, or came up, you know, through dysfunctional families or dysfunctional you know, neighborhoods or had issues. It, it's that one person usually stands out, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a family member, whether it is a parent, whether it's a sibling. Uh, it's one person showing them, like you said, that there is value in who they are. As Hernan says, that helped him see that he is not the thing he did. Right. You know, that he is right. not that thing that he did. He is a valuable person who did a bad thing, but he is not that thing. Right. And and, and that is one of the key goals is to convince you know, a child that grows up in a community that, again, doesn't have the resources, maybe is deprived right. of, of even this hope we're Which talking about. Which is why about. they get there in the first place. And and, and, and so and, we'll, and we have this quote because I'm, I'm doing the next episode that's going to drop soon. And I won't go into details about it, but there's a quote in there where someone uh, someone is saying that there's a, a an idea that once they get to that age, once they get to 14, 15, 16 years old, that it's too late, that it's too late to change them. That you have to get them when they're into kindergarten. You have to get them when they're young. Otherwise, they're lost cause. And I think that's what happens. I think this with this youth prison system, this juvenile detention system has had ingrained in them for so long that that these are incorrigibles. You can't change them. They're already on a bad path. And sure, a 16-year-old you know, shooting someone is on a bad path. <laughs> there's no there's no way around it. How they got there or whatever the case may be. Yes, of course, there's, and we'll talk about, the, you know, if, if you have resources in the community, you can stop a lot of this before it happens. And that's certainly a, a, you know, a problem to deal with. But they can change. They can be shown that there is hope. They want to. Uh, again, you'll hear it in this next episode you'll hear because it's, it's actually a little bit of a, of a, of a tie-in to that. But there's evidence that shows that children, teenagers who have been, that are down this path, down a bad road, that if you give them the opportunity, that you instill a little bit of, of hope into them and a little bit of uh, responsibility, they will get it. They want to be better. They want to turn it around. And they just often don't think they can. It's a great point. Hernan says, one, you know, one of the biggest ob obstacles, one of the biggest goals is, number one, you're growing up in this environment. And so you're sort of programmed that this is who you need to be. And this is you. Right. You're, you're going to be a gangbanger. You're going to sell drugs. You're going to rob people. Right. Fight to survive. You're going to fight yeah. to survive. 
it's turning around that mentality because if you don't, uh, what he had described was, you know, you sort of begin to believe it and say, oh, okay, no, this is who I am. This is who I'm supposed to be. Right. And, right. and you know, if you don't have someone or something that helps you, like gives you that revelation, then- And there's gotta be someone to do it, whether it's a teacher and sometimes teachers are overworked and, you know, not always uh, in tune with the students. Counselors may, may be far and few in between. These communities don't have the resources that more wealthy uh, communities have. Families don't have the resources that more wealthy families have. Those things, uh, if they're not available, this this will be the result. Yeah, you know. And, and, so yeah, and so and so part of the solution, right, is uh, you know James Williams sums it up as building this sort of ecosystem of care, and it's not just working one on one with the kids. Yes, that's uh, in my humble it. opinion probably one of the most important, but almost as equally important, it's community based programs that also work and counsel the family. Right. You know, as Hernan, I believe, was the one who stated off episode that the child is a representation of the family, you know, and, and so you need to work with the family, you know, and, and there's some great programs out there. In New York City, there's, there's something called the Arches Program. There's a credible messenger mentoring program where they enlist uh, the experiences of now adults, who were children and went through the system. Right. And sort of like Hernan, exactly what Hernan's doing. Right. It can act as that critical, crucial mentor right. uh, to, to, to navigate and to guide. They work with what's deemed high-risk youth. And, you know, these programs, that one in particular, the, the Arches program, reduced the recidivism by 58%. I mean, that's right. insane. That's right. amazing. Right. 58%. So instead of tossing hundreds of thousands of dollars of taxpayer dollars a year on a one child so just you know just a quick little stat you know filling for Rashad here yeah. uh, it varies from state to state but on average it's over a hundred thousand dollars a year to incarcerate a child in New York it's up to four hundred thousand dollars in New Jersey I think it's three hundred and fifty thousand dollars or something like that um and but the whole point here is taking that money right right and instead of throwing it on a system that not only doesn't work, but it fuels mass incarceration and all the decay and all the destruction and all the chaos that goes along with that. Right. And investing in a child, investing in the community, investing in the family. Right. Stopping it before yeah. it gets to that level. Yeah. And, and, and building these proactive, really nurturing networks. Can you imagine if you if you took all the money the the, the hundreds of thousands hundred thousand dollars per child and you take the fifty thousand children that are incarcerated right now whatever fifty times a hundred thousand is mathematical uh, you know math is hard but put those numbers into the communities and give them the resources they need you would stop not only you would help not only it could those, I, I would be hopeful though optimistic and say think about what you just said and if you continuously did that you're right. No, if you continuously right. did that, I mean, who knows? Do we want that? So that's the question of society. Do you want that? Do you want to close prisons? And not because they're bad for whatever, whatever. Do you want to close prisons because you're actually stopping the ongoing problems that this country is facing from decades and centuries of oppression and, and, uh, and one-sided double standard of justice, right, that now has created something called the, the school to prison pipeline that now when you and for when girls abuse to prison abuse pipeline. to prison pipeline a form of modern slavery uh, which you know m many people are equating this to but but fix it because you can actually improve the communities and the people therein 
doesn't that just open up opportunity for everyone when everyone has a better chance at doing great things, at going to school, at surviving these harsh upbringings, changing these communities so that they uh, that people have a, a better foundation? Isn't that what we want? Don't we want everyone to you know to have equal footing? Because the more people who have equal opportunities, the more pro- the more chances we have for innovation. Or, or or do we just want to make money? By putting people in jail, by privatizing the prisons and filling the the legal system and the lawyers and the judges and everyone, the bail bonds industry, all these industries that are making money off of poor people and people of color in this country by criminalizing them for being poor, for being oppressed, for, for starting out in conditions that the rest of us don't have to face. And and, and critical or, or key to sort of helping facilitate this upheaval, this revolution of the youth prison system that that we're talking about is education, you know, and that's one of the things we're doing here on Newsbeat and we try to do. Um, And it's something that Mishi states is effective. You know, I believe her her example was uh, a new prison, new youth prison or prison that was going to go up in Virginia and, and, you know, the residents as they often do, uh, nimbyism, not in my backyard and they're yelling and screaming. And she and her group uh, were able to hold these envisioning sessions that laid out uh, at least one aspect of what they laid out was there are other alternatives. You know, here's the costs, here's the recidivism rates. Yes, you're opposing this, but you're not really opposing it for and and you know and so she, they open up these eyes and she they got to community turn around and say you know what yeah we don't want this prison here still but you know what we don't want it here not because the the stereotypical argument against it in your backyard but we don't want it because. Why are we wait? Why are we spending our money to, as you said, inc- just incarcerate children of color? Right. You know. Right. I mean, there are there are better alternatives. There are better things to do here that are going to help uplift the entire community, the right. families, the children. Well, listen, as we as we often do, uh, we encourage our listeners uh, and, and ourselves to do something, to not just learn about this stuff and sit here and be enraged, uh, but to try to do something. So once again, shouts to our, our special uh, voices in this episode, the organizations that they work for, Mishi and Hanan are with the Youth First Initiative. Please go to their site. Right. Check them out if you want us to you know, find out a little bit more about what's going on, how you might uh, be able to get involved there at work in several states to work to close youth prisons, but also not just close them, but find Find viable alternatives. Reform. And the same with same with James Williams. You know, check out the New Jersey Institute for Social Justice. Yes, indeed. Right there I mean, in downtown Newark, New Jersey. Amazing stuff that, yes, indeed. that these people are doing. Yeah, so check them out. Of course, there's other organizations. You can deep dive into it on your own. Google's your best friend. You can find out more about these types of organizations. Get involved. Put your money, if if that's the, the thing you do. Put your volunteerism, if that's the thing you do. So you can maybe join a, a letter writing campaign. There's so many things you can do to make sure that this issue, which is really a travesty, yeah, once again, get involved. Here at Newsbeat, we're going to continue to bring these uh, these issues to light. Uh, we have some great episodes coming up. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you find great podcasts. Again, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Joe's Podcast Shack. Uh, Do they have it? I'm not sure. But um, do that. Is Follow us, share us, subscribe, rate us, review us, smack us, flip us, rub us down. Oh, no. Uh, wow. Yeah. And a wow. special thank you once again to Napoleon, the legend who lent his uh, his amazing talent it. and his wordplay and his deep thoughts and perspectives on this issue. Uh, you know, Napoleon's a great guy. Not only is an artist, but he's uh, also an activist uh, of sorts himself. He speaks on these issues quite 
often. Uh, check out his video for Black Privilege. It's a favorite of mine. Uh, I know that he's gone off and he's done workshops in places like Rikers Island. So this was a, a, an issue that touched him uh, personally, and we encourage him to continue up that work. Uh, you might want to reach out to him, find him online, and uh, Team NDL on Twitter, at Team NDL. And uh, you can find him, Napoleon the Legend, anywhere you, uh, on Google and such. Uh, you'll find him in his music and his videos, and uh, we thank him for his contribution. Uh, once again, we're at usnewsbeat.com. Every episode, including Youth Prisons, has a full-fledged, full-resourced cover story and, and sort of episode notes. Uh, you find out much more about the uh, the issue at hand, including a lot of uh, links to other articles and stats and uh, good stuff. Once again, thanks to Rashed Mian, who usually puts those together uh, and who uh, is normally with us. But again, resting comfortably uh, as, well, he didn't really do much. You know, it was all, it was all Jen, so... Uh, but tending to Jen and uh, well, the, he's watching news and sports right now. As, I, yeah, as he I think tends to the I, tends I, to the babe. He's holding the baby up in front of the news and the sports and letting her get immersed. <laughs> uh, but yeah, once again, thanks to the Mian family. Uh, we will let him uh, tell you about it uh, when he rejoins us himself. We won't give out too much. And and, and once a little one can speak. Uh, we will she have, will be on the we'll pod. Her on, uh, She'll be on the pod. Baby girl faces and uh, and all the babies. Uh, a we'll, child episode. We'll, we'll have, have a, the the uh, the newsbeat offspring episode. It's sort of like yeah, the junior can crew. They, can they fit all your crew in here though? I don't know. This uh, is a studio. Of, can only hold what twenty thirty people. Well, you know, we'll all huddle around a microphone. My name is Manny Faces, who has many children. Uh, I am uh, <laughs> oh, I'm your, the producer and host of Newsbeat and of Backbeat. I thank you very much once again. Hey, if you like what we're doing and you want to support our artists, go to usnewsbeat.com slash support throw a few dollars our way we don't even take a cut that goes right into paying the artists uh so you know obviously support independent music support independent hip-hop uh support our good uh friends like silent night like liquid like km like rabbi dark side like uh napoleon a legend and like oh manny faces he actually spit on one there episode he, is. There oh, he, is. he was great so if you're so inclined to swing by there and support us chris come check out manny and at least part of the Newsbeat crew live. <laughs> yes, we have two upcoming. LIU. We got two upcoming events. First of all, uh, this is coming out. Yes, we'll have time Saturday, May 12th. Silent Night, our artist in residence, his band, the band called Fuse, who you heard on our season one finale, Why We Riot. That whole crew every second Saturday at Sidewalk NYC down on Avenue A and 6th in the West Village slash LES, New York City. Uh, the lineup, a monthly artist showcase, open jam. There's a band, there's featured artists, there's uh, live ciphers that pop off. Uh, there's food, there's drink, there's great crowd, great people, no cover and your man Manny Faces spinning on the ones and twos. So that's this Saturday, May 12th. And then uh, the Newsbeat crew will be presenting a workshop at the Brooklyn campus of Long Island University, LIU Brooklyn, on Saturday, May 19th. It's a Hip Hop Hacks event. South to the folks at Hip Hop Hacks. Uh, they're doing a Hip Hop Hacks music production workshop day. It's from 11 to 6. We'll be presenting there. So listen, if you're an educator, if you're a community-based organization, if you're you know an organization like Hip Hop Hacks, you want us to come talk about what we do uh, as hip hop, as social justice journalism, uh, as you know the audio production behind it. The these guys are seasoned journalists with uh, hundreds and hundreds of awards under their belt. We're doing real journalism. We're mixing it with real hip hop, and we're tackling real issues. So. So if you want us to come talk about us uh, about what we do, workshop it for you. Uh, we'll do that. So once again, Saturday, May 19th at the Brooklyn campus of Long Island University in downtown Brooklyn. Newsbeat and the crew, uh, we're presenting, I think, in the 3.30 slot. 30 but I slot. encourage you to come out. Hip Hop Hacks is a 
great event. They've done uh, a lot of great workshops and seminars. Check them out at hiphophacks.com, and uh, we'll see you there on May 19th. We will come to your event. We will come to your classroom, and we will, I know Manny, will definitely come to your house party. We'll blow your minds. All right, check it out. Once again, I'm Manny Faces for Chris Tawarski, for Rashed Mian, for our executive producer, Jed Mori, the whole Mori Creative Studios team, and uh, Baby Girl Faces, and uh, and, and Baby Girl Mian, and uh, and everyone uh, else who's listening. Thank you so much for your, for your ears, for your time, for your support and your love. USNewsBeat.com. We'll be back soon with a new episode. Peace. The Newsbeat Podcast is owned by Newsbeat, Inc. Visit us at USNewsBeat.com. The producer and host of Newsbeat is Manny Faces. Our editor-in-chief is Christopher Tawarski. Newsbeat's managing editor is Rashed Meehan. The executive producer of Newsbeat is Jed Morey. Our podcast and website are co-produced and managed by Morey Creative Studios. Newsbeat relies on listener support and grants. Artists that appear on the podcast are compensated for original material. To support Newsbeat or contribute to our Artist-in-Residence program, visit us at usnewsbeat.com and click on support. Subscribe to Newsbeat by Mori Creative Studios wherever you download your podcasts by searching for Newsbeat.